1: Welcome to the Untold Story Podcast. I'm Martha McCallum, and I'm delighted to have everyone with me today. And I'm especially happy to be rejoined by Dan Rose, uh, who some of you may remember from interviews that we did in the past. Dan is a really special person and a veteran and um, a sergeant He served in the military in Afghanistan. And he is... Part of Soldier Strong and their efforts to serve our veterans. So I want to talk a little bit about Soldier Strong, and then I want to introduce you to Dan, and I'm going to let him kind of take it away and and tell his untold story for us. But um, the the group Soldier Strong does a lot of amazing work, and we wanted to talk to Dan because— in sort of in because it's Veterans Day this week and we think that this is a wonderful way that people can do something to give back to our brave strong veterans. So Soldier Strong is an organization that was founded by Chris Meek who was downtown working on the trading floor in, in Wall Street at Goldman Sachs on September 11th and when he saw what happened on September 11th and he saw the responders, the first responders, he he dedicated a, a chunk of his future to giving back. And then it extended to giving back to our members of our military as they went overseas uh, after 9-11. So, so that's Chris's motivation. And he's just an incredible person who's the driving force behind Soldier Strong. But what they do is sort of three parts. They they provide revolutionary technology and innovative advancements and educational opportunities to veterans to help better their lives and help us to give back to them through programs. One is called Strong Minds, which we have profiled on my show. Um, it is It helps veterans recover from PTS through video imagery, um, where they immerse themselves back in, sometimes in the scenes where they were injured, to help Them emotionally, put those moments in perspective and put them behind them. And then Soldier Recovery funds rehab for veterans. Soldier Scholar grants uh, are grants to allow vets to pursue educational degrees. And Soldier Suit, which was part of the original mission for Soldier Strong, provides state-of-the-art rehab devices, including robotic exoskeletons that go to VA hospitals so veterans who are paralyzed can go there and can use these exoskeletons to actually stand and walk, which is extremely important for their physical health and and their mental health and their recovery. So All of that said, let me bring back in U.S. Army Sergeant Dan Rose, who 10 years ago received his first exoskeleton, and we spoke with him then, and um, he came and demonstrated it on my show back then. So on this Veterans Day week, we are honored to have Dan Rose back with us again. So I will welcome you once again with that. It's great to have you with us, Dan.
2: Uh, Thank you, Martha. It's hard to believe that it's already been like 10 years since the first interview that I did with you, uh, I know. time really flies when you're having fun, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, Dan, one the way that I always start this podcast, it's called the untold story podcast. And, and I, before we talked today, I was reviewing your, your story. So I would love for you to share with everyone a little bit about your background growing up in Wisconsin and, and your family and, you know, bring us sort of all the way through, um, your, your military service you know, give, give us a little essay on, on your life, Dan, and, and how we got here.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So I grew up, a uh, small town in West central Wisconsin called Toma. Um, basically my entire family going back multiple generations has lived within a 15 mile radius, uh, geographic circle there. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was a great place to grow up. Uh, knew everybody, you know, it was just, me and my friends just terrorizing the town on our bikes, you know, basically <laughs> could ride wherever we wanted to go. Um, grew up playing a lot of sports, played hockey and yeah, I think it was probably just your, you know, kind of stereotypical childhood growing up in uh, small town America. When I was in high school, um, I ended up taking that ASVAB test, you know, just because it was basically, you <laughs> take the test in the morning and then they would give you the rest of the afternoon off. So it was, you know, a pretty happy <laughs> out of school. Uh, ended up, uh, scoring pretty well on the test. And then, uh, which kind of put me on the radar for all the recruiters, you know, and all of a sudden started getting all the calls or whatever. And, you know, just thinking about the future and, you know, like, you know, I plan on going to college, you know, after high school and sort of when the reality of that started setting in, you know, like the financial portion of that, um, you know, really the going into the military was probably the only way that I was going to get into or actually be able to pay for college. So Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I ended up joining the uh, Army Reserves in 2003 before I graduated high school. Uh, Did my basic training, AIT, all right after graduation, and then was able to go to school uh, the following spring semester. Um, You know, so it was great to be able to, you know, attend college, um, serve in the reserves, you know, have that to offset a, a good portion of my tuition every semester or whatever. So I was able to uh, graduate college without any debts. Um, so I was very fortunate in that after graduating college, it was December, 2008, right. When like the great recession was kind of full swing. And so it was impossible for me to find a job in my degree. Um, everywhere that I was applying to, it was either, you know, like, Oh, you don't have enough experience or, Oh, you're looking for somebody with an associate's degree. You've got a bachelor's or, you know, so it ended up, uh, just working as a hand cutter on a logging crew, uh, which was, uh, very exciting and fun job. Um, you know, <laughs> got to be outside every day, kind of running around in the woods. Um, uh, so it was kind of great, but it was definitely not what I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. Um, I got word of uh, another unit out of uh, kind of uh, north central Wisconsin that was going to be going over to Afghanistan, and kind of decided, you know, I might as well just volunteer to go with them, take the time to save us some money, and then either go to like graduate school or, you know, try and, you know give myself the breathing room to, you know, find a job in my field. Then whenever I got back from Afghanistan, uh, so I had to reclass as like a combat engineer, um, which was really cool. Cause my, uh, grandfather was a combat engineer in world war two. Uh, so mm. he, uh, was on, I think day two, he wasn't part of the D-Day invasion. He was on like the second day going in, um, after they had yes. already established the beachhead. Um, uh, but then he was also a Korean war veteran and, a uh, Vietnam veteran, so he did.
1: Wow, wars, that's remarkable. Was, that's amazing. can imagine. incredible I, No, I know, it's it was incredible.
2: It was. I wish I'd been. He hadn't passed so soon because I was, I think, thirteen when he passed or whatever. So I never really mm-hmm. got to, you know, speak to him about any of, you know, his service. Really, mm-hmm. you know, and he didn't really share much about it. So, you know, I really wish I could have, you know, yeah, heard more about it from him.
1: Um, I bet. I don't think yeah, there are too many people. I'm sorry to interrupt Dan, but I just, I don't think there are too many people who can say they served in World War II, Korea and Vietnam. That that's, that's incredible.
2: Right. And uh, just hearing uh, my dad talk about him or whatever, you know, like he was kind of a stranger until, you know, my dad was like 16, 17 or whatever, you know, because he was like, every time, you know, my grandpa would come home, my, my dad, he was a twin. So, and they were the eldest. So him and his brother, every time his grandpa or every time his dad would come home, he'd basically get a new sister. You know, so that was you know <laughs> his memory of his dad up until he was you know like in in his later adolescent stage or whatever. So it was kind of you know interesting just to kind of hear from him what his experience was moving around the country, you know, and um, moving around the world. He lived in Germany yeah. for a time or whatever, and uh, just kind of a fascinating upbringing for my dad or whatever. Just of so hear that, sure, you know, his experience through it. Yeah, so um, uh, you know, back to my story of uh, being a combat engineer, uh, had to do a little reclass. Uh, do some training down in Missouri, just to be able to go over with this unit and uh, serve the mission that they were sent over to do. Uh, we ended up going over in uh, I think we got into country in October of 2011, and our mission while we were there was route clearance. So basically, we were driving around in our trucks, um, you know, going down every route in our area of operation, just looking for IEDs, you know, the uh, roadside bombs that you know they were basically put out to ambush you know, right. the American vehicles. Um, so it was our job to go out there, look for them. Uh, when we'd find them, basically we had a, um, big truck called the Buffalo that had like this big operating arm that could go out and dig it out, put it on the side of the road. and Then we'd throw a block of C4 on it and blow it up. And, you know, we called it rendering it safe. So we basically, mm-hmm. would blow it up on our terms, not theirs. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it was a very, uh, fun and exciting job. Um, most of it, though, is just the sheer boredom of driving around, going about three to five miles per hour, you know, trying to look for these, mm. sign, any sign of IEDs, which were, you know, either could be like freshly disturbed earth or, you know, just rocks that were out of place that weren't there the day before. Um, so it was like a That's really nice. boring game of I Spy where nobody actually knew what we were looking for in the truck. Um, but we were great at our job and we had found... Basically, every IED, uh, no trucks that went down the routes that we had cleared ever got blown up behind us, mm-hmm. um, right up until uh, the one found us, uh, which was uh, end of April, or I'm sorry, we got in the country 2010, uh, ended up getting um, hit by an IED April 27th of
1: 2011,
2: mm-hmm. um, and that one was basically we were clearing a new route, uh, it had just been built. Uh, prior to the rainy season, which was connecting one of the kind of smaller fire bases to another one, just so they they would have a direct line of contact between each other to support each other. When they had built it, they basically flattened out a pre-existing kind of footpath and it had gone across like a drainage ditch. Um, So when we came up to this ditch, there was, you know, ditch on the left side, ditch on the right side, and we're looking for a culvert because that's commonplace for them to put explosives. Um, and there was, there were no signs that there was ever a culvert under the road or one was there, you know, and so we assumed, okay, they must've, you know, destroyed the culvert and, you know, built the road over it. What had actually happened was they'd left a culvert in there and just buried over both ends. During the rainy season, we weren't able to patrol that route because our trucks would just get stuck in the mud. Uh, so the bad guys in the area had a couple months where they were able to dig out the side of the road fill in that culvert with explosives, fill it back in, buried that tripwire out for 300 meters or so. Wow! Um, and they, yeah, when our truck got over top of it, it it went off from the post-blast analysis that they'll do. Like the EOD guys will come in and investigate the size of the crater, you know, the size of the destruction of the truck or whatever. They estimated it was just under a thousand pounds of explosives. Mm. Um, so massive. It took our truck, rift the engine compartment and the mine rollers and threw it forward about 40 yards. Uh, the crew compartment that we were in got flipped up and over and backwards. So the two ends of the truck were facing away from each other and probably, you know, I'd say a good hundred feet apart, but luckily though, I was the worst injured out of it. Um, uh, my driver, he suffered some, uh, spinal fractures, but no real, uh, nerve damage, uh, fortunately. And then My uh, gunner, he had a broken leg and then all three of us were concussed pretty badly. So, Mm -hmm. um, but by rights, I think all three of us should have been probably dead. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it was an amazing outcome that, you know, like we're all still here to, you know, tell our story and share it with everybody.
1: Yeah. What do you remember, Um, Dan, about after, after it happened? Do you, are, do you have a memory of being out there after it happened?
2: not not so much like i i i can kind of remember like getting like pulled out of the vehicle a little bit but i'm not mm-hmm. sure if that actually you know kind of happened or if it was my brain after the fact trying to stitch together because i don't remember the medvac, the helicopter flying us out of there mm-hmm. i don't remember you know like like any of the stabilization that happened outside of the truck anything like that or even getting mm-hmm. to the hospital i mean it was a solid I don't know, eight to 12 hours that I just, you know, didn't exist. So it's kind of hard for me to, to really understand if what, you know, if my memories actually happened or if it was just kind of like my brain sort of trying to. Sure. So
1: when you did the
2: two time lapses.
1: Yeah. What do you remember about understanding your injuries and you were, what hospital were you in when you, when that happened?
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. So, I mean, originally I was, uh, flown to the Kandahar air base or whatever they had like a big mm-hmm. sort of triage hospital where they could stabilize you know soldiers before sending them out um, and you know the thing with spinal cord injuries is they're never really quite sure the extent of the damage if it's mm-hmm. you know right away I didn't have any sensation or
1: mm-hmm. movement
2: below my level of injury um, but that could have been to due to like swelling in the spinal cord or you know right. temporary so and without like imaging or you know like anything like that they really don't know um so basically they you know they said you know this is the extent what we're seeing you know no one Mm -hmm. really can tell you know like only time will tell what the actual extent is Mm -hmm. um so then I was flown to from Afghanistan to Germany I I think I spent a couple days in Germany but I was so they had me on all the good painkillers yeah sure of course a lot of Germany and then uh Then from there, I went to Walter Reed. Uh, That's where they did the spinal stabilization surgery where they, you know, put rods and uh, pins, basically, in all the vertebrae just to kind of bring things together. Uh, And that's where the surgeon who, you know, after looking at all the imaging, actually doing the surgery and everything, he, you know, he came into the room afterwards and told me, you know, I was like, you're never going to walk again.
1: Mm, What was that like?
2: Awful. (laughs) It was, it was terrible, you know, and it was kind of, you know, I... I had broken my back like twice prior to this or whatever, like oh my god
1: hockey when yeah. I was a kid,
2: once riding four wheeler when I was like 19. So like you know and right. it was, you know it, it happened, you know, and it was kind of like, oh, you know, like sure it'll be tough to kind of like bounce back from, but you know, like mm-hmm. I, I never lost any function or sensation or anything like that before it was kind of another broken bone to add to the list. And so, you know, I kind of expected this time to you know be the same. Um a third time was a charm, I guess. <laughs> so it was uh yeah. uh but it was brutal to hear. I mean, it was just you know, like immediately your mind goes to the to the worst of everything you know i thought my life was going to be over you know i thought i was going to basically just you know be an invalid for the rest of my life just you know waiting to die basically watching you know everyone else pass me by luckily though i had some really really excellent therapists et's uh one of my nurses when i was actually like in like the um surgical icu uh was amazing uh she had a friend or whatever who was also, you know, a paraplegic or whatever, uh, in Germany, I believe, or whatever, but he was also like a Paralympian. And so she was kind of like started filling my head with all these stories, like these amazing things that people can still do, you know? And it, it, yeah. it, it took a while for that like seed to actually sprout and to realize everything. But I mean, she was the one who planted it there. Um, mm. and then doing the PT, uh, working with some amazing like rec therapists, you know, like I slowly realized that there was still a lot out there that I could accomplish a lot that I could do, um, Adaptive sports really became kind of my focus, you know, after getting out of the whole rehab process and kind of, you know, was what opened my eyes that there's a lot of life left to live. Um, you know, I, 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 think it was a big one for me. was a ski trip out to Colorado, like right after I got out of rehab and, you know, it was kind of a dark time when I got home to Wisconsin and back in my small town that knew every single street that didn't have a curb cut every business that had steps going into it you know basically i just knew everywhere i couldn't go and everything i couldn't do mm-hmm. um and that was tough and like going out to colorado i was just like you know like what am i doing i'm in a wheelchair there's no way i'm going to be able to ski you know this is you know just a real dark negative place and you know like going out there it was you know a ton of great volunteers that were you know explaining how to do it you know and everything And it was like yeah yeah, yeah whatever and they ended up you know, get me into a ski, throw me up on this chairlift, you know, go mm-hmm. riding up the chairlift and, you know, oh like, get to the top. Were, you, like, all right, ready?
1: were you scared? Yeah, yeah, I just like... want to back up for one second because, um, you, you talk sure. about Tammy, who was your therapist. And basically she, she said, you know, I filled all these forms out for you. You're going skiing in Colorado. And yeah. you're like, what? And exactly. no, she insisted you actually, you're going skiing in Colorado yeah. when you leave this hospital so she you didn't really have much of a choice and and your sister was on the chairlift with you right because she lived out there
2: no she was yeah no she was on a lift behind us, sort of so I had the two uh okay. two volunteers that were with me on the chairlift but yeah no Tammy she was my rec therapist when I was in uh down in Tampa going through my rehab and she was amazing like she
1: yeah basically
2: was the one who pushed me to go try out hands like me try you know all these wheelchair sports everything like that and yeah she did she came into my room before I discharge go back to wisconsin you know with all the paperwork all filled out and she's like hey ski trips happen in december here's all the paperwork sign it you're going or whatever and it was like uh okay yeah sure um <laughs> yeah but i mean and then <laughs> riding up on the chairlift you know it was like my my worst fear was just you know like wiping out right on the chairlift and they got to they got to stop the lifts or whatever and like
1: mm-hmm. you know i hate
2: being you know the cause of a scene or whatever you know and you know I'm like, when i got to the top and i go to unload off the chairlift and it just make about two feet fall right on my side you know and it was like oh god this is awful well you know, that can be yeah, tricky this, this on, you you know, know, they... when
1: you're standing on two legs in ski boots people fall off the oh ski. yeah
2: <laughs> oh yeah yeah I've done it many times since uh, uh I've gotten used to it you know it happens you know it's yeah. kind of but in my mind that was like, the worst possible scenario and it happened of you know and I just went, the two volunteers that were with me you know like got me up real quick you know and we got off to the side you know and it's just like i'm dusting myself off you know and my sister was on the chair behind me you know basically came up skiing behind me when i was off to the side she was like "Well, is isn't this amazing or whatever and i thought she was talking about me wiping out you know And i'm like oh my god just super flustered and i you know finally took the second to like look mm-hmm. up and you're looking over the town of breckenridge or whatever like you know on the top of yeah. a mountain, and it's like my god i should not be here like this is i'm in a wheelchair there's no reason i could ever make it to the top of a mountain or should be on the top of a mountain or should be skiing. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of when it clicked, you know, that, that it was just, you know, there's still a lot that I can't accomplish, you know, just cause I feel like it's impossible in my head doesn't mean it is, uh, ended up having a great week out there, uh, oh, with skiing weird. independently after a few days. Wow. Uh, it well, felt amazing. I just kind of.
1: So, um, you just had to figure out how to, how to do it differently, I guess. Right.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, just have the courage to try, you know, and there was uh, in every sort of, you know, avenue out there. There's there's amazing people who have either done it before you or who are willing to help you figure out how to do it again. Mm. Uh, And so it's another thing to, you know, to be humble and ask for the help when you need it. You know, that was a big thing for me to learn. Uh, Still not the greatest at it. Still working on it.
1: The
0: Untold Story continues right after this.
1: Well, you know, it strikes me looking over your story again and listening to you, Dan, I mean, number one, you're, you're just an incredibly strong, resilient person. And after serving your country so well, um, you, you know, went on to kind of serve yourself well to get to get back to life. But it also strikes me that you have this great support of love in your family and these pivotal people along the way in your recovery who are like angels. They just sort of dropped in and and worked and told you what you needed to to know and hear about the future. I mean, how, how much do you how, how much did they matter in where you are today? Cause you've done so many amazing things in this part of your life as well.
2: Um, they, they mean everything, you know, without them, it would, I would never would have, I wouldn't be where I'm sitting today. Um, without them. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I've been very fortunate that the, the help I've received along the way, um, has been able to kind of bolster and pick me up when I needed and, you know, kind of the driving force behind me to kind of push me to you know try harder and to you know just make myself a better person every day you know and having them you know put all their blood sweat and tears behind me pushing me it motivates me to you know not only you know do my best for myself but also to them to honor their effort that they you know invested into me
1: so you um you know when you graduated from college from the university of wisconsin you have a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and Molecular Biology with honors. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what life is like today for you, because it, it's 10 years since you. And I, I want to talk about the equipment and, and the impact on you. But what's life like today?
2: Yeah. Uh, so like the most recent big news is that uh, my wife and I had a daughter. So she's three months old. Um, Congratulations. So yeah, just That's starting to get... wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I What's never her knew name? I love something so much. Haley.
1: Nice. Beautiful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And she's adorable. She's, uh, she's yeah, an amazing, amazing girl so far. Like she's, she's sleeping pretty well. You know, she's not colicky. Doesn't cry a lot. I mean, if she's crying, it's because she's overly tired or hungry, you know, there's really yeah. not a lot of, uh not a lot of hair pulling moments in there. Um, but yeah, no, she's, she's amazing. Um, also on the, uh, uh, the national wheelchair team for curling.
1: Uh, so I've been training, uh,
2: tra- yeah. So I've been uh, doing a lot of training, trying to make the uh, team to go to worlds this year. Uh, big goal is uh, going to Italy, 2026 for the Paralympics. Uh, so just really, right. really training a lot, uh, pushing myself to trying to make it there to get on the world stage.
1: That's fantastic, Dan. That is fantastic. So when we met uh, 10 years ago, you were the first person to use um, this, an exoskeleton, which is a piece of equipment that allowed you to stand out of your wheelchair and take steps, um, which and you did it on Fox. We did a demonstration live, which was really moving for everybody who was watching it. Um, tell me a little bit about, so now that one is sort of obsolete now. And so you're ready for the next generation exoskeleton. Tell us what using it, like how has using it impacted your life? Um, how often did you get to use it? And what what are you hopeful for in terms of getting a new one? And what difference would the new one make? Uh,
2: yeah, no, I mean, like the exoskeleton has been amazing uh, just for like the health benefits of it. Like the biggest one is uh, like the range of motion. Uh, a lot of times, you know, being in a wheelchair, you know, like your hips get tight, you know, you, you develop what's called a contracture where basically the muscle tightens up to where mm-hmm. you can't get back to neutral with it or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so being able to stand up and take steps really helps to, like stretch those hip flexors, stretch your knees, ankles, to maintain that range of motion, which makes, you know, everyday life so much easier with my transfers just getting dressed in the morning putting my shoes on you know like i can still manipulate my legs in the ways that i need to to you know do the things that i have to um also like when i first got the exoskeleton device i was i was part of a study for them to see what the benefits of home use would be and they actually did a uh, bone density scan and uh my bone density actually improved in my leg so i don't know if that was uh Everybody who was in the study like also saw those results, but it definitely um, showed up for me, which was amazing. And that's not something I'm going to notice, but hopefully, you know, later on in life, that'll you know help to maintain just kind of healthy bones in the lower extremities, right? Uh, yeah, and like, and you know, like now that my initial device is you know basically obsolete, I think that's a kind of testament to how fast the technology is moving. Um, mm-hmm and i mean it still it still works and everything or whatever but now the the newer devices that they have uh can do way more things uh the batteries are smaller the you know they last longer all that stuff um and now they've actually like acquired a uh, indigo or whatever which is a completely different device uh much smaller than like the exo device that i have uh, and which is going to be the one that i'm going to be replacing my exo with is with the indigo device which is Smaller because it's more tailor-made to the individual mm-hmm. where the exo device is able to accommodate, you know, somebody from, I, I I don't think these are, I think it's like somebody from like five feet to six foot two. The exo device can like expand and, you know, accommodate that where the Indigo device is more made for uh, like a specific narrower set range of heights. They have right. multiple pieces that they can put together to make it, you know fit almost anybody and so those pieces are a lot smaller than the exo device and they actually like the carrying case for it it's like a small pelican case like a little it's like a roller puller suitcase basically where like the one device looks like a cough that one looks like a coffin which is like it's like a band equipment box like it's huge um Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean like the technology is getting smaller uh much better you know like more intuitive to use like the indigo device uses like an app on your phone to tell where the batteries are at what the, you know, the temperatures, the motors are and everything. So it, it's definitely getting, you know, like smaller, faster, stronger, you know? And so it's, it's, it's exciting to see that progression and kind of, you know, especially where it, where it started and where it's at today in 10 absolutely. years absolutely, uh, kind of mind blowing.
1: So I, I want, I know people are going to want to know where to go to donate to soldier strong and all of these great programs. How, how do you know how much this new suit how much does it cost? Do you know?
2: Um, I am not sure. I know that the Exo suits were I think like albums. Yeah. I'm not and sure I... what the indigo is, what the price tag on those are. Um uh, Christina might have a figure on those. there.
1: yeah, I'm assuming. I not. can um, I'm just want to encourage everyone to go to Soldier Strong. One word, soldier strong dot org and there's a red button donate and i have it open on my ipad right now and i'm watching you take a walk with a lovely woman who i think is your wife right
2: uh if it's lisa with uh, kind of blondish hair but yeah was yeah. it the uh, Fox, was it the interview that i did with you um initially
1: i don't know this is a new piece of video that i'm looking at um but tell okay. me, tell me, tell us about your wife, because you talked about having a, a baby. And I just wanted to what well, can you share with us about your about your wife?
2: Yeah. So I um, actually met my wife in Madison, Wisconsin. We had both moved there around the same time, I think, in 2012, I want to say. Um, we had met just kind of as friends, um, kind of both new to the area, kind of exploring new restaurants, uh, just hung out quite a bit, um, sort of no intention on you know, anything more than just being friends. Uh, But one thing led to another and we uh, got really close, uh, you know, kind of started seeing each other, started dating, moved in together. Um, We've traveled quite a bit together. We went out and visited my sister a bunch in Colorado. And every time we go out to Colorado and then fly back to Wisconsin, you know, and it's negative 10 degrees in Wisconsin and 40, 50 degrees in sunshine in Colorado. And it's like, God, what are we, what are we leaving here for? And so we finally just figured out like hey let's just move to colorado it seems like a much better fit for us and uh it has been so we live in denver uh we ended up getting married in uh uh 2019 uh july 20th uh 2019 um and then we um we started the IVF process soon after getting married so i mean it took a little over three years for us to you know finally establish like a positive pregnancy with haley or whatever and so Mm. it was it was Three tough years, uh, you know, a lot of bad news and heartbreak. But, you know, finally, mm-hmm. you know, we have a beautiful, healthy little baby girl. Uh, oh, that's be fantastic. Uh, yeah. That and, is uh, great. So my wife. Uh, yeah. And so Lisa with uh, when we first got the the soldier suit, like they had to actually come and train her to be kind of uh, what the PTs would call like a lay spotter. Uh, so she was trained to, you know, help, you know, get the device to stand. Uh, in case there was ever a problem, you know, like with like balance or anything, she would be there to kind of like spot me and make sure I didn't go down with it or whatever. Uh, so yeah, so basically like every step that I took at home, you know, she was right there, right there yeah. beside me, a little bit behind or whatever, just making sure you know I wasn't going to stumble, trip and fall, like my literal set of training wheels. Uh, but no, she's always been right there next to me, you know, my support group literally and figuratively, you know, kind of pushing me to, you know, take those next steps and, you know, be a better person.
1: Well, you, you're you such an inspiration, Dan, and I'm so thrilled for you and your family and your little girl. I'm so happy to see how great life is going for you. And obviously, as you point out, there's ups and downs along the way, but you're just a person of great courage and uh, persistence. And we thank you so much for your service, and we thank you for all you've done for for Soldier Strong and. Once again, the website is soldierstrong.org. If you want to make a donation this Veterans Day week, I think that would be a fantastic idea. It's a great way to give back to our veterans um, physically with the technology that helps them. There are also donations that go to education and degrees and also work for mental health, which is so important as well, obviously. So soldierstrong.org. Um. press the red button and put your donation in. Dan, I I, I want to thank you. And it's just been so nice catching up with you and uh, take good care and God bless your family. And I, I hope we get to talk again soon. I want you to come back when you have your new exoskeleton, okay?
2: Oh, definitely, Martha. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Great to talk to you, Dan. Take care.
2: All right. Have a great day.
1: You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.